Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Good morning. Um, as per usual, it is a great honor to get to share the word with you this morning. And um, just before we start, um, Jesus, I just want to um, ask that only you will be uh, glorified and honored. That Jesus, um, I pray that as you open the word to us by your Holy Spirit this morning, um, that there will be an effect it has on us to centralize you even more in our life. That Jesus, you will take even greater focus of every moment, of every day, of every section of our lives. Because that is our desire, Jesus, that you would be preeminent in all things, because you are preeminent in all things in heaven. And so we ask for your kingdom to come on earth, in us, right now as it is in heaven. Because in heaven you are the focus. And Lord, we pray that you will become more and more and more the focus of all that we are, of all that we do, Lord Jesus. In our consciousness, in our, in our understanding, in our, uh, not, just, not just in the spiritual things around us, but in the reality of life that you would become more and more the centre of everything in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, I, I want to talk to you this morning. We are, we're looking at, the, the title of the series we're looking at is Letters from an Apostolic Heart. We're looking at these letters of John. Um, but this morning, I really want to focus on the heart that these letters came from, um, rather than just the letters themselves. So we will dip into them, but I want to go a little bit wider than just these three letters and look at the life of this man, John, and his heart um, and, and how that shapes the letters that we've received. Part of the reason that I think there are different authors in the Bible is because no one person, I don't believe, can fully demonstrate the diversity of God and in different people and authors we get to see different dimensions of how God interacted with them and how they interacted with God and how they were shaped by Jesus. For example, Paul is a person that I see who, um, he, he really did know the magnificent, awesome, terrifyingness of God. You know, this was a man who was blinded um, physically by meeting Jesus and understood um, the power that God held. And for Paul, although we, um, we do get major glimpses into his devotional life, into his love for Jesus, I, I would suggest that the primary way we see Paul's love outworked um, for Christ in the Word is through his devotion to his mission, is through his absolute devotion to finishing his race, to making sure that all that Jesus had called him for, he achieved. And and for me, in that, I see Paul's love for Christ expressed. In Peter, we see a man who gets it wrong time and time and time again. He makes mistake after mistake, particularly while Jesus is um, in in Jesus' earthly life. But I see a great devotion and love for Christ in Peter at the fact that he keeps getting back up. He keeps dusting himself off and going, I will become the person that Jesus told me I would become. My life will glorify Jesus in every single way. You know, Peter is the guy who, 
I, I, think about, I think about Peter and I think about the situations he put himself in and, uh, and, and, and think about the way that guys relate to each other, okay? And, and so maybe when he, you know, sinks and falls into the water and Jesus has to rescue him, you know, he gets back in the boat and all the lads are like, oh, Jesus, help me, help me, help me. You know, oh, you screamed a little louder than we thought you would. And he's like, well, did any of you walk on water? No? Bart, got anything to say now? Didn't think so. You know, I imagine that with Peter, there was probably a little ribbing that maybe happened at some of the mistakes he made. Mount of Transfiguration, standing there, and James and John are, are kind of looking in awe, and he's like, can I make you some shelters? Maybe, Moses, Elijah, Jesus, you're in this glorified, awesome form. What shall I do? Make you a tent. <laughs> I think he probably walked down, walked down the mountain, and John and James are like, what? Why would you want to make them a tent? I don't know. I just, I didn't know what to say. (laughs) But he never let any of this stop him from pursuing Jesus. And and the guy that we see as we read through these letters, these these, um, gospels is the same guy that on the day of Pentecost is the one who steps up. And he is the man that he needed to be. Despite all of the mistakes, despite all of the funny situations that he got himself in, I'd love to associate myself really closely with with Paul or with John, to be honest. But time and time again, I read his stories and think, oh man, I get where you're coming from, Peter. (laughs) You know, anyway. Um, With Mary, we, we see a love for Jesus demonstrated in this beautiful scene of pouring out perfume onto Jesus' body, this item of tremendous value, and then washing his feet with her tears and hair that she, she used whatever she had to honour him, whether it was of, of much or of little value. And then she is at the, um, at the tomb to get his body ready when she realises that he's been raised from the dead. She was willing to do anything And you know what? That led her to be in some incredible situations. And then we come to John. And this man's love and devotion to Jesus, I believe, can be best described like this. His love for Jesus was most displayed in his absolute and complete devotion to knowing Christ. And it's not that I think we should look at any one of these people and think they're the person, they're, they're the perfect picture of devotion. I also don't think that we should look at any one person and think that what we see in the Word is the total expression of their devotion either, um, because we get a glimpse in the Word of something. And I don't think we should use these things as an example to say, oh, you know, as an excuse to be like, well, you know, I'm like Paul, or I'm like Peter, or I'm like Mary... But I think for all of their experiences and all of their expressions of devotion are an opportunity for us to take them and to apply to our own life a sense of devotion that these people, these early followers of Jesus, express. And for John, I think, um, if you could put the first slide up, if I could express it this way, for, for John, there was only Jesus. There was only Jesus. And I know that it was the same for the, for the other writers of the New Testament, but it just there's something about John for me where I read his letters and I le- read his writings and it was just, Jesus is, 
he is the absolute focus of everything. Um, without having to read anything into it or to understand, he, Jesus was just the focus. And I know we've talked about the different themes running through the letters of John, love, truth, light, etc. But for me, the theme that dominates all of John's writings, not only his letters, is this idea of abiding in Christ. To abide, to remain. This, uh, this word abide, abide, <laughs> abide is a verb. It is something we have to do. And um, it means to stay in a given place or state or relation or expectancy, to continue or to dwell, to endure, to be present, to remain, to stand. This is what it means to, to abide, and he's telling us to remain in God, to, to abide in Christ. In the, um, in the MSV, that's the uh, Mike Shooter version, it renders like this, to actively remain in Christ. That's what John insists that we do time and time and time again actively remain in Christ. To abide in Christ is something that only John records for us in the Gospels, and only he goes on to use it in his other writings. This is, this is a phrase that we will only find in the writings of John and nowhere else. And so I think we should take note of that um, and see what heart it is behind that that led him to say that. Paul talks about running your race or living by the Spirit. James focuses on being a doer of the Word. The writer to the Hebrews focuses on the complete and full and finished work of Christ. But this apostle continues always to focus on this one thing, this key to abide in Christ. We see this for the first time in John's Gospels. Uh, John's Gospel. And Jesus gives us a hint of this in John 6 and John 8, but really it's in John 15 that we get more of an insight in what it means to abide in Christ and what Jesus is saying to us. Because although this is a John phrase in that sense, these are the words of Christ. So let's turn to John 15, the Gospel of John 15, and we're going to have a look at what Jesus said to the disciples here. So this is John 15, 4 to 11. We're actually going to start from 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. Uh, <clears throat> as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you may bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, 
just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These are the things that I have spoken to you, that, um, that my joy may be full in you and that your joy may be full. Okay. We see this again in John's letters, and he reiterates it in 1 John. Um, in, just, in, just in 1 John, there are 22 references to abiding, um, either in Christ or in his commands, or different things being proof that we are abiding in him. It seems to be of a prominent concern for John that for all Christians to abide in Christ is essential. Because if we abide in Christ, everything else comes from that place. Everything else comes from this, this state, this sense of this place of being, this actively um, waiting and abiding and remaining in Christ. If you want to love God, abide in him. If you want to love your brother um, or sister, abide in him. If you want to walk in the, way that you in the way that you should, abide in him. If you want to overcome the evil one, let the word abide in you. If you don't want to be ashamed when you see him as you come into his presence, abide in him. All of these are references to what um, John says in his first letter. If we want anything we do to really count, it has to be in the context of remaining in Christ. In Revelation 2.4, in the letters to the Ephesian church, they got everything right, but they had forgotten their first love. They had forgotten Christ, their love for him. They'd missed the point. They had missed the point. They got everything right, but they weren't abiding in him. They weren't walking with him. They weren't remaining in his love because we'd see, if they were remaining in him, we'd see that love. We would see that love coming from them. In John's writings, uh, all of John's writings do this one thing. They focus us back towards the person of Jesus. And this is the heart of the apostle, to look at Jesus, to focus on Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to remain with Jesus. That is all we have. <laughs> but that's what we have. <laughs> what we have is incredible, but... But that's what we have. That's all we have, yeah. is to walk with Jesus, yeah. to walk with him. And so I want to look at two different things that I believe that John shows us in his writings that he wants us to know about abiding in Christ. And I know um, Chris says, you know, that you need your three points, but like Ellie said um, last week, she had six, and that's fine because, you know, six divided by two is three, so I've basically got three points. You're all with me? No? Okay, let's get on with it anyway. Um, but I believe that John shows us that if we abide in Christ, we are to understand that Jesus is more than a moment. That's my first point, that he is more than a moment. John was one of the three closest people to Jesus, arguably, um, possibly the closest person to Jesus, I think. He had probably known him, one of the people to have known him the longest in his earthly life because he was Jesus' cousin, and knew him realistically probably the longest um, in, in the extent of an, early li uh, uh, an earthly life up to that point because he lived for such a longer time than any of the other disciples um, because he was exiled and he, uh, and he probably wasn't martyred. And so... Um, 
And so he's, he, he has for us an insight that maybe we can associate with in a way that we can't always associate with the other disciples. He lived a really, really long time. <laughs> um, and, and I want to make sure that when I am his age, I'm still walking as passionately with Jesus as he was. Yeah. Um, to be so faithfully walking with Jesus that I'm trusted with a revelation from heaven, even at the age he was, because he hadn't wavered and he hadn't let time dampen his faith, but only um, strengthen his devotion to Christ. This man also had some of the most magnificent encounters with Jesus recorded for us in the scriptures. In John 13, 23, he, he rested on Jesus. He leant on him. He he had, a level, he had a physical intimacy with Jesus that I'm sure very, very few people actually ever shared. On the Mount of Transfiguration, in Matthew 17, 1-8, he saw with his physical eyes a manifestation of glory, of Jesus' glory, that would, I, I imagine would just be burned into your brain that you could never forget, that you could... I mean, Wow! <laughs> And then in Revelation 1, 12 to 18, he has a spiritual revelation, a vision of encountering the risen, glorified Christ. And this is the man who he's rested on, who he's seen his physical glory and yet still falls down, terrified because of the awesome power and nature of this (laughs) God-man. And, you know, this, uh, this idea of encounter is something that after about 10 years of working with the youth now is something that constantly comes up when, uh, when I talk to them, particularly any young person who maybe is struggling a little bit with their, with their faith. Um, this idea that they haven't really encountered Jesus in a demonstrable, powerful, impactful way like that. You know, they haven't seen those things. I know Jesus is real, but I want to encounter him in a demonstrative way. It's it's a regular conversation that I would have with young people. But I think, to be honest, we all feel that way. They're just honest enough to actually say it. (laughs) That for some of us, the idea that we read about these encounters, but yet actually, but I I can't relate. I can't relate to seeing the heavens opened and seeing the glory of God. Um, I've imagined those things. I've, I've sang about them, and I, I even believe them, but there's something in me where I just... Sh- shouldn't I see that too? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but I do believe that John has some wisdom for us in this this morning because I find it interesting that this man is the one that's had these encounters, and yet he's the one that records for us how essential it is to abide in Christ. And if anyone might not need to, it would be this man. He's had significant enough encounters with Jesus that if it was possible to just live from those encounters, then he could do it. He's had such tremendous encounters with Jesus that he would never forget that if it were possible to not abide in Christ, I think this he's a good contender for somebody who could do it. But he knows, even for him, it's not possible. He cannot live from encounter to encounter. 
John understood that these encounters, although amazing and powerful, what really matters is to actively remain day after day walking with Jesus. To live with Christ every day, to involve him in every decision, to worship when you don't feel like it, to read the word even when you forget everything that you just read, to live in the way that he tells us to when it's inconvenient or embarrassing. This is what it means. Like This is part of what it means to abide in Christ, to live with him every day, to walk with him even when it's difficult. And you know what? If we live that way, then we can expect those moments to come like they did for John. Those encounters that, we'll re- that we will recount for the rest of our lives, but we can't live from them. We can't live for them. I mean, if you think about it, John lived this life, this, this long life, and I'm sure there are others, but he's, he's only listing a handful of encounters, demonstrative, intimate encounters that he had with Jesus in his writings. So... I'm not saying that in any way that we shouldn't expect these encounters. Of course we do. When we read about them, we want them. <laughs> when I read about what John experienced of Jesus, I want to experience those things. When I read about Paul giving us these hints that he was in the third heaven, I want to be there. <laughs> I want to see those things. But also, I want to approach God in faith. You know, this morning, I didn't get a great sense of the tinglys. I, uh, I, didn't, I, I personally didn't physically feel the presence of God. Um, that's not wrong. It's not wrong because my faith, what I believe, what I know to be true and I am absolutely certain of is that Jesus was here, that he was amongst us and that as I worshipped him, he received my worship, that he's blessed me, that he's met with me. I do not need a physical sensation to prove that to me because I approach God in faith. And if I need something to show me that, to prove that to me, then I'm believing, in some, I'm believing not in Christ and what he says, but in a physical feeling, and I don't want to do that. Because the only way it's possible to please God is by faith. And so I want to come to him and say, Jesus, whatever I've experienced this morning, I believe that what I know of you is true. Because you've told me that, you've revealed those things to me. And I will, believe me, I rejoice in those encounters you know, when I do, when I am moved in my very core and overcome with what Jesus has done for me, when I, am, when I, when I have had visions and seen things of God and I, like those things that are burned in my brain that I will never forget, awesome, and they're amazing, but I can't live from them. I need my daily bread. I don't want to just live waiting for the next vision or the next moment in worship when my eyes are opened to heavenly realms. I want to behold Jesus and worship him every single day to every single degree that he opens my eyes to him, whether that knocks me off my feet or whether that just warms my heart because I know that I've met with him. Uh, I'm content with anything that Jesus gives me of himself. The, the experiences, are, the moments are not the goal. <laughs> to walk with Jesus every day and to bear fruit, that's the goal. Yeah. When Jesus talks about abiding in him, that's the purpose, is to bear fruit. Yeah. I, want, I want to bear fruit. Yeah. And so that means I want to walk with him. 
and I want to, I, I want to abide with him. I want to actively remain with him. Yes. He is more than a moment. And to meet with him every day is life-giving and a life-transforming experience. Amen. I don't ever want to um, take for granted the transformation that I have had over these past 15 years as a Christian because some of those things have happened so slowly over time. And so God has only, he's, he's changed me in such small degrees over such a long period of time that I'm not appreciating the great transforming work that he has done in me by just abiding with him, by just walking with him. The things that have changed in me, not because of a moment where I met Jesus, but because he is, he's transforming me from glory to glory. Every time I read the word, every time I pray, I just want to be grateful for everything. I don't want to be looking at Jesus saying he hasn't done enough when he has done more than I could ever ask or imagine. I want to abide with him, um, not just live for the moments. And the second thing I, I want to say um, is that John shows us that Jesus is motivation for the mission. The person of Jesus is motivation for the mission. <clears throat> One of the things I personally have really loved about um, this, these readings of uh, re- going through 1 John and reading them, is reading them in line with the Gospel of John. Um, because it's, it's made me realize how faithful John was to the teachings of Jesus. Because really, when I read the Gospel of John and then I read the letter, I just realized that John is, is essentially just recounting and sharing what Jesus said to him. And uh, I love that faithfulness. I, I think that's, that's just what I want to be like. I want to take the things that Jesus has given me and... Um, as he shows me more things from the first time he said them to me, that's fine. But I want to remain faithful to all of those things. I don't want to put a mic twist on them. I just want them to be faithfully recounted as John faithfully recounts them. And so when I've looked at these two things together, John's letters always talk of loving one another. And it reminded me about something that only John, again, records for us. And that's in John 13, 34. It says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, but you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The purpose of loving one another is not to make our lives really nice in church. It's not really even to build a really nice community. They are massive benefits, just the way out there. I absolutely really appreciate Jesus telling us to do this, to love one another, because it makes being together really nice. (laughs) But the goal is to reveal Jesus to the world. The goal is that people can look at us and know that we're his disciples. That is the goal of loving one another. You will probably have heard me say this multiple times if you've ever heard me share anything about this verse. Um, But I genuinely believe that loving one another is one of the most evangelistic things that we can possibly do. We can go out, we can proclaim the gospel, we can do those things, but I want to bring people to a place where they see Jesus because they see our love for one another. 
John, I think, is so emphasizing this in his, in his letters of loving one another because it, it is so uniquely Christian. It is what marks us out and separates us. In other religions, you will walk down the street and you will know what religion somebody is because of what they're wearing. Um, maybe you hear a, a particular type of prayer and you know. Maybe they come and knock on your door and so you know what religion they're from. But you know, Jesus didn't give us any of that. Jesus didn't give us stuff to wear, though we've invented it. He didn't even give us places to meet, except we've invented it. He didn't give us a time to meet, but we've invented it. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with those things, but they are not what define us as Christians. Jesus said, Jesus said, by this, by, by loving one another as he loved us, that is how people will know that we are his disciples. Can you imagine, can you imagine loving each other in such a way that in the same way you would walk down the street and see, um, see somebody in a particular item of clothing and you would know what religion they're from? Could you imagine loving each other in such a way where somebody looked at the way you treated somebody else and knew you were a Christian? Could you imagine people coming in to this building on any day of the week with no signage, nothing, but they just come and they see how we treat each other and they know that we're Christians. That's what Jesus is talking about. And that is, a, that is quite a goal. <laughs> but it's what we are, that's what we're commanded to do. To love one another like that. Jesus is the motivation for the mission in every single way. In absolutely every single way. Sorry. Um, okay. Jesus, as the motivation for the mission, he's that in so many ways. He's that in the commands. He's that in his heart for the world. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. I think... I find, it, I find it incredible, actually, that John didn't record the Great Commission. I, 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 find, I just personally find that quite astonishing. I, I would expect that John, he was there, he heard it. It's, it's one of the last things that Jesus said to, the, uh, said to them like that, and, and he didn't record it. And, it. and it shocks me. But when I thought about it, I thought John just understood that if we just love Jesus, if we abide in Christ, then we will love what he loves, and he loves the world. I don't think John needed to tell us to go to the world because if we love Jesus, of course we'll go to the world because that's where Jesus will send us. If we're abiding with Jesus, he points and goes, go on then, crack on. <laughs> on uh, Wednesday, we meet as a life group at 6.30 in the morning um, to pray. Unsurprisingly, there are still spaces if anybody does want to join us. Um, but uh, God gave me this picture as we were praying this week. Um, and I was on the edge of a cliff face, and I was trying to climb up, and I just wasn't going anywhere. Um, and a hand reaches down and takes my hand and pulls me up, and it's Jesus. And I realized it's Jesus, and, and, he, and he saved me. And so he clothes me, and he strengthens me. And I look up, and I see these heavenly courts, and I realize he's, he's lifted me up, and he's put me in heavenly places, and it's magnificent. And it is glorious. And, and I'm overawed 
And I look back and I just see Jesus and he's just at the edge of this cliff face, just carrying on, pulling people up and pulling people up and reaching down and pulling people up and reaching down and pulling people up. And I look at him and I see this love in his eyes for these people that he's pulling up, the same eyes that I saw as I looked up and he rescued me. And now he's strengthened me and he's, and he's clothed me. And I look at him and he just looks up and he just said, come on then. Come on then. And so I run over and I start pulling people up and I'm sending them over to Jesus and he's sorting them out and those people are getting transformed and they're overawed as well. And, but then they realize they need to get to the cliff face and they start pulling people up and all of a sudden there's a multitude of people because everybody is getting involved doing what they're supposed to be doing. You know, Jesus did the heavy lifting when he was a, a physical, when he had a physical body. He carried the cross. But you know what? Now we are his body. And the head is not designed for lifting. Okay? The arms and the back and the legs, they do the heavy lifting. Okay? If you're confused about that, go to Steve Peake's life group, Healthy Living. He'll teach you. There are no neck weights. These are not reps you should be doing in the gym. <laughs> And look, Jesus reaches down and he's still pulling people up and ultimately, we don't save anyone and I know that. But Jesus is looking at us like, come on then. Come on then. We are his body. We are his hands and his feet. And in the heart that he's given us and in the commands that he's given us, okay, we are the ones who he's calling to go and, and bring people to him, to pull people out of horrible situations that we all found ourselves in. He is the motivation for the mission because he so loves the world. He so loves the world. In uh, John, 1 John 4, 17. To 33. Sorry, 7 to 13. Those verses don't exist. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this, uh, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. We love one another because of the love that Christ has for us. And that same love leads us to testify to the fact that the Father has sent the Son. He is the motivation for the mission to the point where, as we abide in him, part of the proof that we abide in him is the fact that we testify about him. He is the motivation for the mission in every way, shape, and form. He really is. And so we are called to abide in Christ, 
to actively remain with him. We are not called to moments with Christ, but a life with him. And like in any relationship, there will be moments that are so memorable, we will remember them for the rest of our lives. But they are to be underpinned with a life of faithfulness and love towards God in every, in, in every way. And as we continue in this life with Jesus, we will find more and more our hearts burn with love for the lost. And we must find, we must find our hearts burning with an obedience to his command, to his commission to go into all the world. He has to find an obedient people amongst us that are willing to go anywhere and do anything for him. These letters from an apostolic heart burn with a simple message, the same as all of his letters do, the simple message of Jesus being the center of everything. He is the source of all things the saviour of the world, the prince of peace, the king of kings, the lord of lords. And he deserves absolutely everything. Everything we've got. Um, and so I just want to pray to finish. Could we stand together, actually? And just as a sign of our submission, can we just raise our hands? Jesus, we lift our hands right now that are empty and have nothing in them because, Jesus, all we have is you. And, Jesus, I want to thank you that only having you is more than we could ever ask for. It's more than enough. You've filled us with your spirit. You've anointed us. You've washed us clean of our sin. God, thank you so much that you sent your one and only Son God, thank you that as we believe in you, we have eternal life. Yes, thank you, Lord. But God, thank you that those heavenly courts, those heavenly places that you've seated us, give us good leverage to lift people out of the world. We're reaching down to pull up. And God, we want to walk with you as you are here to save the world. Lord, we want to be your hands and your feet. We want to be a strong back for you to lift up that which is broken and downcast and hurting. Jesus, I want to thank you that there will be moments with you that we will remember forever. Yes, will. And Jesus, I want to thank you that there will be moments where we just know that you're with us. Yes. As we put our faith in the fact that as we read your word or as we pray, we just know you're with us. We know you're walking with us. God, I pray that we will value every moment, every single one of them, whether big or small, whether something that, you know what, we, we, we maybe forget, or whether it's one that we could never forget. But God, we just want to value every single one of them because life with you is beautiful and incredible and there is nothing else worth living for. Jesus, set our hearts on fire for this world. Set our hearts on fire with love for one another. God, we thank you that only Jesus is the answer and option for us. We love you, Jesus. We adore you in every way, shape, and form. We thank you that you're more than a moment, and we thank you that you're the motivation for the mission. And we just thank you, Jesus, that you have given us everything. And Lord, in return, we hand you everything again and say, Lord, here we are. Use us and send us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. 
Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.